Our text today is in Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter 2 for our Christmas text today. Matthew chapter 2, a story, one of the stories of the birth of Christ. Matthew's version in chapter 2. In my opinion, my opinion, the best movie ever made is the old black and white version of A Christmas Carol starring Alistair Sims. If you've never seen it, it's a magnificent movie. He plays Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' old story of a bitter and greedy old man who hates the whole idea of Christmas. And in bitter sarcasm, he calls Christmas a humbug. It's a humbug. Ah, humbug, he says, when you mention Christmas. And there's some great scenes when Bob Cratchit wants Christmas Day off. Uh, Scrooge exclaims, Christmas is a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. (laughs) And of course, that classic response when the two men come collecting money for the poor and ask Scrooge for a donation. And he says, "Uh, no way we're going to do that. And the two fellows say, well, people would rather die than go to the workhouse prison. And Scrooge responds, if they'd rather die, they better do it and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> so in that wonderful old classic, we meet Ebenezer Scrooge, who's the enemy of Christmas and all it stands for. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that old classic, then I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Seuss and the Grinch that stole Christmas. (laughs) When that nasty green-colored fella declares, I must find a way to keep Christmas from coming, he's sort of like Scrooge. And so he makes a Santa Claus coat and a hat and goes down to Whoville with his little dog Max And he steals their tartukas and wazzles. And he steals the roast beasts for the Who's Christmas feast. And he took, he says, the last crumb from the Who's houses that was even too small for the Who's mouses. And so in both Christmas stories, there's an incorrigible character who hates Christmas. There's also in each story redemption for the villain. As they are convinced finally at the end of the story to embrace Christmas. And of Scrooge it says, of all men he knew how to keep Christmas well. And Scrooge sends a goose to Bob Cratchit as big as Tiny Tim. And the Grinch himself carved the roast beast for their Christmas feast. So we find in the Bible the story of the original Christmas when Christ was born in Bethlehem's manger and we see a surprising tale of a wide range of attitudes towards the birth of Christ. In that very first Christmas, much to our surprise, uh, we also find Someone who doesn't like Christmas at all. We find an incorrigible villain. 
an evil and wicked man who plays a role in the very first Christmas. So it may be not an original thought that Scrooge and the Grinch created. It was there all along in the very first Christmas. So we turn to this fascinating chapter, Matthew chapter 2, where we trace an amazing array of responses to the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2 now, beginning at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. The background of the story is given in one simple sentence. Herod the Great is the king of Israel, and he is in Jerusalem where his castle is located. Herod in his day was most famous for his 30-year project rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. But the problem lies in this. Herod, who is called the king of the Jews, is not Jewish. He's an Edomite, a stranger. So how did a foreigner ever come to be the Jewish king? Rome had taken over Israel as the great world power, and Rome would decide who would sit on the Jewish throne. Herod was a personal friend of that famous Roman general, Mark Antony. And through political maneuvering, he became king. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Strange that these stories repeat. Such an old story as that. Through political maneuvering, Herod becomes the king. And so now there is a king who is not a Jew and sitting on a Jewish throne. So, much to everyone's surprise, a caravan enters Jerusalem. And very likely it was a large caravan, not just three kings as we've been told and even sang this morning. Uh, but probably a large caravan, actually led by a group of wise men, or their actual name, the Magi. Caravan entering Jerusalem would usually draw attention, but mainly because they would come to do business, selling spices and perfumes and special clothing from the east. But this group shocks everybody when they announce the reason that they have come. And in that reason, we have our first Christmas attitude. They say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, the intensity of this search is displayed Because they have made a four-month journey by camel to Jerusalem just to worship the newborn Jewish king. So the search was intense search, well-planned search, a search overcoming many obstacles. It's a determined search that comes to Herod with this question, where is he? My friends, what a wonderful Christmas attitude that is. I want to find Jesus. I'm determined to find him. I will overcome any inconvenience or any obstacle. I want to find Jesus. So where is he? Tell me where he is. 
In a world like we live, full of confusion and full of hatred, in a world full of uncertainty, we need to find Jesus. And we need to ask, where is he? And it's even more pressing. I want to bow down to worship Jesus. I want to know where he is. I'm quite sure we are about to be told by the people above us that we're not supposed to celebrate Christmas. Which makes me all the more determined to find Jesus in this Christmas and worship him. That's a wonderful Christian attitude. These wise men come searching and asking questions. May we do the same. May we search him out in this season and ask, where is he? I want to find him. I want to bow down at his feet. However, there's a surprising response to the question. Verse 3, when Herod had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. For Herod, this is a disturbing question. There's someone Jewish born to be king. Of course, to Herod, who was not born Jewish, this new Jewish-born king is a threat to his throne. But why is it that Jerusalem is troubled by this news? Well, basically, the best way to put it is Herod is crazy. He's a madman. He has had three or four members of his own family murdered because he was afraid they might steal his throne. His own son, he had them murdered. Insanely jealous of his power, he'll murder anybody who stands as a threat to him and his throne. Who knows what Herod is going to do with the news of a newborn king? Naturally, Jerusalem is on edge. But I suppose more troubling than that is this. No one has any information about the newborn king. Nobody's got any idea what the wise men are talking about. The question comes, how do you wise men know about a newborn king? And we don't. Now, my friends, there is a silent wish. There is a quiet hope. There is an inner longing that the long-promised Jewish Messiah will come and free the Jews from Roman domination. It is quietly whispered in the houses and homes of Israel. It's whispered in the halls of power. When will he come? And as the Roman soldiers are ever near to assure Caesar's power and to collect Caesar's taxes and to ensure Caesar's influence, it is longed for by everyday ordinary people. They don't dare say it out loud. Don't think that Herod hasn't heard those quiet whispers. He has. Verse 4. 
When he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. And Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, said, Go and search diligently for the young child when you have found him bring me word again that I may come and worship him also and so we are now introduced to a second Christmas attitude the educated class the priests and the scribes are questioned by Herod he knows that there's a secret desire for a Jewish king not him And the only one on the horizon that anybody might think about is the Jewish Messiah spoken of in prophecy. So he questions the educated class and he gets an answer from them. Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. So here is the second Christmas attitude displayed in our text. People who know something but don't care to pursue it. The prophecies of the Messiah went back 4,000 years. For centuries, the Messiah had been promised. It was the secret hope of many people. And now a group of strangers from Arabia come and ask, where's the newborn king? As if he already exists. So Herod takes a guess. Maybe he does, and ask the experts, and they say he's to be born in Bethlehem. That information comes from the educated class, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. You could walk there in an afternoon. So why don't the experts go to Bethlehem And search for themselves. My friends. That's our Christmas attitude shown here. There's a lot of people who know about Jesus. There are lots of people who know that Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Christ. They drive by a manger scene. They know what that is. So don't you want to know more? Doesn't it pique your interest? No, no. I don't need to know anymore. I don't need to know him. I know all I want to know about him. I'm just not really that interested. That's a poor Christmas attitude for sure. My friends, I've been preaching for over 30 years about the birth of Christ And usually four sermons a year. That's 120 sermons about the birth of Christ. And it still fascinates me. And I still want to know more. Don't fall into that Christmas attitude that says, Yeah, I know all about that. Jesus was born in a manger. I already know that. Or you'll end up like the priests and scribes who wouldn't take the trouble to make a seven-mile walk to Jerusalem is too much trouble. 
And don't forget, they were the ones that ended up crucifying Jesus. And so because no one else is really interested, the wise men head off to Bethlehem. Verse 9. They heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they opened their treasure, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and mercy. A very touching scene, is it not? Just a baby plain, ordinary-looking baby in this rich, royal train of wise men bowing at his feet. So it looks out of place, doesn't it? No, no, it doesn't. doesn't. The angel's message when Christ was born was, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. So Arabian wise men are welcomed at his tiny feet. Jesus would later say to anybody who would listen, seek and you will find. Seek. Search. The old Christian song says, when I was a seeker, I sought both night and day. I asked the Lord to help me. He showed me the way. Amen. Amen to that. Oh, that we would all be Christmas seekers, searching and then finding as they did. But now we come to the villain, the incorrigible villain of the story. Verse number 16. Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time when he had diligently inquired of the wise men. He tried to keep Christmas from coming. He had long since given in to evil impulses and now driven by the powers of darkness that he served he attempts to kill the newborn king he will murder every boy child in Bethlehem from two years and younger so as not to miss the one he wants it's a violent atrocity it's an evil impulse Understand, my friends, the prince of darkness hates the Christmas story. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Prince of darkness hates that message. And so he found a henchman, King Herod, and moved his evil heart to destroy the baby and end forever the joys of Christmas. But Herod, unlike Scrooge, did not reform. He did not change. He died a madman seeking to destroy 
whole cities of people. He said, I want them all to cry when I die. And the only way it's going to happen is if I have them killed. And so he set up his army before he died to kill whole cities of people. That didn't happen. But he tried to end Christmas. And he failed. And I'm glad for that. One more Christian attitude now. One more Christmas attitude. Verse 13. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Flee into Egypt. Be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And so, one more Christmas attitude Maybe the best one yet. A dream comes to Joseph. And God says to him, Herod is going to try to kill that child of yours. And it says he rose up in the night from that dream, packed his bags and left before dawn. The last Christmas attitude, they were given the truth in a young child. They were given the light of the world into their care. Jesus is a helpless baby. They did everything in their power to preserve him and to rescue him. And so they saved Christmas. My friends, the birth of a Savior and the good news of it that it brings are in our hands. The truth has been given to us to preserve. First of all, to preserve it and then to proclaim it so we can never shut the doors. We can never close the church. We can never fail to tell the story. Jesus came to take away our sorrows. That's what the Christmas meaning is all about. He says he gives you beauty instead of ashes. And he exchanges the oil of joy for mourning. And he promises a garment of praise in place of a spirit of heaviness. We are the guardians of that truth our Christmas attitude is that we will guard the truth protect it and proclaim it in hope the promise of heaven to all who believe and to the seeker we say come we'll show you a baby and for all he stands for and all he means to us come Jesus brought Christmas to earth. You say, oh no, it's a man-made thing. Don't you ever believe it. All of its joy and all of its peace and all of his love comes from the hand of God first as he reached out to mankind. They tried to steal it and destroy it, but they failed. And so will anyone who tries to take away Christmas. We will see to it that they will not succeed. So Merry Christmas. Christmas. May you be filled with a wonderful Christmas attitude, searching and finding and preserving what is our job to do. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Christmas. 
for such a wonderful thing you brought to this earth and for the attempts to destroy it which failed. We know that's the hand of God that you will always protect that message. And we're here to give it and to say it to anyone that will listen. You can find this Savior. This baby is a wonderful thing. It'll change your life and take away your sorrow and give you something you've not known before. Bless us, Lord, as we come to this season and let us find in it the joys of Christmas all over again. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn books, if you will, to 379. Wonderful hymn that states so well what we have said. Oh, my heart, this night rejoices. Stand together with us, 379. pray that our hearts would have that attitude today, the attitude of loving that little baby in a manger, knowing that that is where the greatest gift came from. May we never forget that you have done this, and this is what Christmas is about. May our hearts show the love and the joy and the light that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ and may you ever be our Lord. May we bow down and worship. We pray that that would be in all circumstances that we would worship you in Christmas, Lord, for that is what we are here for. Here to worship and here to take that light and show it to the rest of the world. So we pray that we would tell the story that the Son of God came to earth to forgive mankind. And if they would only believe, they would be taken to heaven, Lord, and be with God forever. We thank you for that promise, and we know that your promises are true.
May we believe it and live this way. Lord, we thank you for all these people here in this place and out wherever they are listening, Lord. Watch over all those people that can't get with us, those people who can't be with us, those people whom we love dearly. Protect them, be with them, and watch over them this Christmas time, all of them, and bring them back to this place, Lord. We know that you have a mighty hand in this whole thing, and so we pray that you would do what is good and right and wondrous, Lord. This Christmas season, we ask for all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.